Welcome, everybody, to the Patrick Carr Show. I want to tell you something that I found out. Uh, well, I was probably 12 years old when I discovered this in a car with my father. I was looking at a man uh, across the street. My dad saw me looking at this guy, homeless gentleman, and he said, I want to tell you something, son. He said, I believe this, and I want you to take this into account, that every person, regardless of circumstance and the history, regardless of where they are at in life, is three situations, decisions, unfortunate accidents, just three away from being exactly where that man is right there. Today, I have a guest with me that is doing everything he possibly can to end homelessness, to stop it, to revert this, to find homes for people, to find purpose in life for those people who maybe are down and out on their luck. And that's why I'm very happy to have Maurice right here with me with Moses Holmes, buddy. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today, sir? Man, I'm doing very good. Um, Maurice, I, I got to tell you, this is a passion project for me. I, I, I love what you're trying to do, all right? Um, there are not enough people, not enough attention, in my opinion, being paid to, to this unfortunate circumstance that people find themselves in. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping in that with you today, the kind of people you're helping and uh, making their lives better and making communities better in the process there with Moses Holmes. Um, but first, I want to learn about you a little bit, all right? Um, who's Maurice? Talk to me a little bit about who you are and where you come from, brother. Well, um, my name is Maurice Sales. Um, I'm from Eustis. And um, a little bit about myself is when I was growing up, my father was a contract over migrant contract, migrant people. We um, picked them up from all over the world, from South Florida to all the way up to Pennsylvania, Michigan. And we traveled all over, the, you know, all over doing um, – watermelons, picking oranges, apples, peaches, tomatoes, cucumbers, doing just a little bit of everything. And then um, as I was growing up, my father was the type of person, he's like, son, these are the people that help us. These are the people that are going to be in your life, that's going to be around you. And he never made us feel better than them. Mm. We lived in the same spots. We took showers in the same places. And it was like, it was like a family. I would say, so when we picked those guys up off the street, it was like, wow, another family member, not just another person that's going through a hard time, another family member. So now in life and what I do is I treat anybody that I meet, especially homeless, because I know I can be that way. I can be in that same spot. Did you find in your time, you're traveling around there with your father and you're doing these various jobs, okay? Um, a lot of these individuals, I imagine, are homeless. Um, perhaps they're traveling with their family. Is that how it normally works? Or talk to me about the dynamic of the people that you were introduced to during this time where you and your father are traveling like this. A lot of times you ran into males that were displaced or, you know, ran on some hard times, may have got strung out on drugs or different situations. Other times you ran into families that traveled and just followed the season you know that wasn't they weren't on just hard times they just liked that type of work so they followed the season so the misconception of dealing with homelessness is everybody is in a bad situation everybody's on drugs everybody's and that's not the case in all situations mm. when you say they like the work man that'd be some tough work to like you know what i mean it is but you think about this if you can go load watermelons or pick oranges and you're making two to three hundred dollars a day and that was back in the 80s mm -hmm. that's that was good money darn right it was and i mean i i'm not trying to I'm, i say this truthfully that there is something to be said for a hard day's work and i can see how someone would look at that and go this is honorable there is a purpose to what i'm doing each and every day when i get up and i know what that purpose is and i'm hitting the ground running with it and it might be backbreaking, and I know that it's hurting my in my body, but there's some real purpose in that, in my opinion. It is knowing that what you work for, you earned what you work for. It yeah. wasn't so much given; it wasn't so much a handout. Yeah. Now, I'm, that's not to say that you didn't run into situations and cases like that, but for the most part, you had guys that came out and did what they needed to do, whether it was a supportive habit or supportive family. 
Yeah. Something special about that. Something special. There about is that. doing something with your hands. It's why we support, you know, we go out there to the roofing contractors and blue collar, the trades, because uh, from the beginning of this company, we said, Hey, listen, I want to support people who are doing something with their hands. They're building something. I love all my software people. Good luck to you. That's great that you sell software. There's some great, but at the same time, I think there's something special about that, that backbreaking, the, the labor. And like you say, you're earning that dollar and you know that you're earning it out there. Right. Something real about that. Yeah, one thing I learned in life is that there's a place for all of us. Mm. There's a place for the blue collar. There's a place for that migrant worker because without that, you don't get the oranges. You don't get all that food on your table that, you know, some of us don't want to do. You know, I came up doing that, and it was a humbling experience for me mm-hmm. to know that if you don't get your education, if you don't do this in life, this could be your life. And I thank my father and I thank God that I had the opportunity to live that life that I see some of the migrant workers out there, you know, struggling and we're looking at why we won't let them come into our country, why Mm -hmm. we won't do this, why is that um, such a terrible thing for somebody to want a better life. Yeah. You know, I've said before, and we were talking about some of the immigration bills and stuff that have passed, but I, I truly believe this. We need more empathy in the world for one another. And I believe, yes, we can go down that pathway of, you know, people should or should not be here and stuff like that. But it takes a very, very small amount of empathy to just strictly go down that road. And I ask, you know, I ask friends this, and I'll say, if you were born in Guadalajara, you want to tell me you want to be in that same spot? You want to tell me you want to be trying to do that backbreaking work, trying to get by, trying to move your family forward? You can't say that. Not if you've got an ounce of empathy in you. Because you would look at that and you'd go, I would do this for my family. Not saying it's right or wrong, but we all could use a darn just a little bit more empathy, if you ask me. Empathy, yes, I agree with that 100%. Because you can look at, you can look at those guys and those families and those what we call immigrants or whatever terminology you want to use or whatever you want to call it. And those people come into the country and they don't look for a handout. They want to actually work for what they're getting. Mm. And not only that, they work together. They stand together. They don't look for anybody to give them a handout or just, you know, just put them out there and say, oh, we're going to give you this. They'll work together. They'll live together. They come into this country, and next thing you know, <laughs> they're owning part of it. I think that's what the fear is. The fear is of people getting in and thinking they're going to take over. But if you look at it, most of the people that are here don't want to work. Mm-hmm. So you get them to come in our country, and what do they do? They work hard. They do everything they can to make it success, to be successful. And you, if you look at it, they are becoming successful. Right. They're driving the nice trucks. They're getting the nice houses. And not only that, they're building the communities, those people that don't want them to live in, they're building those communities for them to be able to live in. So why not allow them to come in when they're working their way through? Yes. I was talking about this somebody the other day. Are you trying to be virtuous or are you just scared? Because um, I think there's a difference. It's fear. Yeah. And I, I feel you on that right there. I think that some people have gotten so lazy in their lives that they look at a situation changing in front of them and wonder, now where is my place if it's not going to be there? Um, but what I like about you, though, Maurice, one of the things is that you had a chance. You could have just stayed in that world. You could have done that, and that would have been that. And I don't think that would have been reasonable, I think, to a lot of people. But you work your way up, man. Now you're, you start working with people in a whole different capacity. Tell me about that. Well, um, when I first um, got into the area of being like um, behavior therapist, um, it was for a place called Carlton Palms at that time when it was open. Open, and it was for um, the owner was Ken Mazik, and he was a family-oriented guy. He was a upstanding, a really, really good person to work for. You know, he showed love to us, not only to those who work for him, but to even to our families. You know, we got bonuses, um, raises. Every three months, you got a raise. And um, he showed us what it really meant to be work for someone who loved his employees. Mm. And so as working with him, it made us feel like, you know, the, you did for us, and we're going to take care of, you know, your pl- business just like you're taking care of us. And it gave us a love for what we did. And we were taking care of um, kids and adults with autism, anger management, 
inappropriate sexual behavior and you dealt with different types of behavior, you never know from one minute to the next what was going to happen, whether you're going to be smiling or whether you're going to be doing um, physical restraints. Mm -hmm. You never knew. What's the, I, when I look at our world right now, I think to myself, medication becoming more readily available to people out there, more people taking more pills, whether it be antidepressants or painkillers, you see all of that. Um, in your experience of being there and seeing people probably at their worst right now, is this a problem that's getting worse or are people just not getting the help that they need? What do you, what do you see in your time of being a you know, behavioral therapist out there? What do you see going on? What I see going on, the problem is getting worse. And the reason why it's getting worse because less people want to deal with the real problem or the root of the problem. You know, it's, it's a disconnect with family. It's a disconnect with, um, you know, some people want to take, uh, let me give you this pill so I don't have to work you through this problem. So if you give a person a pill, instead of talking about the problem, it just band-aid the problem. So some situations, yes, I agree that medication is necessary, but I don't think it's necessary in every case. Yeah. I think a couple of things are feeding into it right now that I've been able to look at it. One, you have the social media, so the constant comparison to other people. And I think that we don't give that enough credit for the behavioral issues that it will cause for kids that are growing up from 16, 15 right now, from eight years old, watching other people, comparing themselves constantly. And then the nuclear family. You know, you've got a lot of single fathers, single mothers out there. And unfortunately, those kids don't get the development that they need. And they grow into these adults that they don't know how to act. Um, they've, they've been taught by other children how they need to act as an adult. And I think that we've lost that nuclear family here in this country, and that's almost even looked at as, you know, a, a Christian thing. Like, that, that used to just be the norm, in my opinion, brother. Like, but now it's become something that's, well, it's, it's to the right or it's Christian for to have a nuclear family. And I'm not one to shy away from the fact that I think it's a great thing if a child can grow up with a mother and a father. Um, and that should be celebrated. And I don't think we see enough of that right now. I think it's a great thing if a child could be raised up with a mother and father, but I think the more important thing is based on, uh, in my opinion, yeah. based a Christian family. Mm. It doesn't have to be a mother and father. It has to be a loving parent because if the father's loving and he can raise his daughter or son to be loving and teach them right and wrong, then that's where it happens. If it's a mother, I think it's the same way. You know, yes, it's very important to have a mother and father connection so the child can see both sides of what it's like to have a loving family. But there are successful people that was either raised by a mother or a father, and it was just raised in love. Then you also have a successful individual that went through a rough time and a hard time that was still successful. What at the end of the day, it's about a choice. Mm -hmm. It's about a choice of whether you want to do the right thing or whether you're going to make the wrong choice. So in life, you, you run into individuals that, you know, I don't want to be like my mother was. I don't want to be like my father was. And then they turn out to be just like their mother was or just like their father was. But on the other hand, you have that same situation that you have one that says the same thing that turns out to be better. And then they go back and get that parent that was hard, that was rough, and show them love. That's because they have the love, you know? Hey, Hoff, I want you to look something up for me real quick. Google it for me. Uh, church attendance in the United States. Like, just give me, like, an idea of have the percentages dropped or if it's going up. I got a question for you, then, Marisa, while we're looking that up. Um, what do you think the difference is as a behavioral therapist, okay? You just mentioned something I think I'd really love to know the answer to. There's person A over here grows up in, let's say, all things the same, all right? And that person says, I'm not going to be like my father was. I'm going to be better. I'm not going to be an alcoholic. I'm not going to be unemployed. I'm going to do right by my family. This person over here, same situations, maybe he wants to, maybe he doesn't, but falls into the trap and ends up just like his father. And we talk about choices, but what do you think the differences in the choices people make? Um, how does one person end up so much different from a similar situation than what somebody else does? From a behavioral therapist, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are and your experience. Well, my thoughts and experience is this right here. You can have a family that has two kids raised in the same house. It doesn't have to be individuals out of a different home. You could take two kids in the same home and 
one kids decide to do good and do the right thing the other kids make a choice and decides just to live life you know so it's difficult to really put that into just a individual because it's a choice that the individual has to make you know you could take a kid and he says um the kid that everybody looks like he's not going to make it and he'd be the most successful kid because he decided at some point he was going to turn his life around so in anything that you're doing it has to be a decision a choice that you're going to make that no matter how much medication you're on some kids don't even take medication and they're successful mm. after they decide that they don't want to do that anymore but you have parents that put pressure on kids that give them medication that labels a kid that says I just need a check. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you get these families and get the individuals that get out there that just give kids medication just to get a check. And there's nothing wrong with the kid. And so they're labeled that way through life at a young age because of something that a parent wants. And that kids get that label on them, but then they could change that around once they become an, an adult. They can make a choice to say, I don't want that. I don't want to live like that. That's not who I am. See, what happens there, in my opinion, is that those children, they begin, they get that label, and then they begin to tell themselves a story. And now they tell themselves the story that, well, I am the ADH kid. I am the kid who's bad behavior. And now once they've told themselves that story, they believe it. And then they'll do actions that reinforce the story than which they've already told themselves. And so it just is a cycle. Once you get that story told to you by somebody that's very difficult, I think, for people to break. What are we looking at, man? Yeah. What a drop. There you go. Yeah. So we're not only talking about nuclear family. We're talking about 67% pre-pandemic down to 46% post-pandemic. I mean, those numbers are absolutely shocking right there. I really didn't think off it was going to be that much. But that right there, I think, illustrates what you were saying, yeah, that it's, it's a combination of things right here. Right. And so what happens is um, post-pandemic and then after that, what happens is you had people coming together. You had people being able to come together, join together, minister together, and stand together to everything being divided and saying, no, now we can't come together. Now we can't be around each other. Now if you come, you might get sick. So what happened is the world put fear back into the equation. And once fear came into the equation, everybody was afraid to take that next step. Who's going to be that one that says, I'm no longer afraid? to give it my all. I'm no longer afraid to be the person that makes that difference. Well, that, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned fear right there because that's what we're, we're here to talk about, all right, in a way. And this is what my thoughts are, is that when people think of the homeless, some people think there's some fear that comes into them, some nervousness, some anxiety. It's like, mm, I don't want to deal with that. I want to push that off a little bit right now, Maurice. I don't want to think about that. Um, you've dove headfirst into it, though. You've gone from somebody who's a behavioral therapist and working with adults who are challenged into truly doing something to help the homeless problem that we have here in Florida. And that's what I want you to talk about. Talk to me about how you get started with Moses Homes. And then let's dive into this right here because I don't want pe I want to take the stigma of nervousness, of fear away from this because there are people like you that are truly doing something about this. And I, I, more people need to get involved and I want our viewers and our listeners to get involved with this. Um, how I got involved in this was um, uh, a couple that went to my church, uh, Derek and Shay Folston. Um, my wife and I, we were, you know, having a conversation about things we wanted to do, and we were thinking about doing a group home, and that kept on not working out for us. I want to stop you right there. What is a group home, maybe, for those who are not familiar with what a group home is? A group home, a group home is... Um, is a is a housing somewhat like homelessness, but it's more of, I guess, structured in a situation where you, the government makes different choices. You have to get different things and different licensing for this. So once you get into a group home setting, you, um, I would say, you are more controlled, okay. and you get different people, different age groups, and it's bounced off like that. I got it. Okay, different. Got it. And so when you're dealing with uh, uh, independent living that's um they're mostly responsible for themselves and as i was saying with um they um derek and shay folston when they came in they have a company called second chance housing and my wife and i you know we started looking at that and we live in lake county so we were thinking about that and then all of a sudden 
we went to um, Clubhouse. Clubhouse is what they are. Uh, it's like a, what's the best way to describe it? It's almost like what we're doing right now. Okay. And um, when we uh, got on there, it was more, wow. It was more eye-opening. Yeah. And it was exactly what we wanted to do. And this um, gentleman was getting out of the business. And at the same time, they were trying to find someone to take over that business. We happened to be on the clubhouse the night of them trying to get this business, and we end up buying the business. Okay. And so once that happened, um, like homelessness, we found out that um, these guys' homelessness is not what everybody look at it as. Well, hold on. I wanna, what is this business that you buy? Tell me a little bit about this. So you're, okay. you hear about this guy. He's selling something. What is he selling, and what is he doing? Bring me back to it. What he's, what he's doing is he's selling from hopelessness to hopefulness in homelessness. Okay. And so what he's doing is he's taking those women, men, families that are out there without anything, without a home, without a place to live, and bringing them from that back into an area where they can feel self-worth once again. And how's he doing that? So tell him, what is the actual, because it says Moses Holmes, so obviously yeah. where I'm, I'm going to throw everybody else, they, here's a little bit of a spoiler. It has to do with Holmes, everybody. Okay. Um, but what, what did you buy originally from him? That's Where are you putting these people? What are you buying there? Well, um, well Moses Holmes, and the reason why I named the business that I have Moses Holmes, because biblically Moses helped individuals when they was in that wilderness time of life. Mm-hmm. He helped them get from uh, captivity and um, they went to like a wilderness state of life. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to help these homeless guys and ladies and families that are in a situation where they feel like they're in a wilderness time of their life, like they're in the worst part of their life where they have no hope. And my thing is to give them that hope and desire to want to be loved, to want to be successful once again so my thing is once you become a part of Moses homes you become a part of a family I'm not just bringing you in just for you to pay to stay in the house that I have pay to stay here and try to get yourself off the street just for a roof over your head what I want to do is I want to get you back into the situation where you can get reconnected with your family you can get reconnected with what society has to offer and, re- and feel like you know yourself you're worth something you're not just in a situation to where Life is not worth anything. So you buy that first home, and yeah. you say, okay, um, you, and your, you, you and your wife both decide on this? Yeah, my wife and I, we do. Okay. We, we so make she's a, decision so together. Bet, okay, I didn't know if you did this on your own, and then it was like, hey, we're doing this. No, nah, <laughs> nah, it, it works better when you do it together. Hey, no problem with that. Absolutely true. We're going to be right back to that episode, but if you are a contractor, you obviously know that your jobs have to be profitable. And if you are a contractor that is removing debris from your job, maybe you're doing restoration or roofing, then you better be using the Equipter if you want to be profitable. Now, listen, we've talked about the Equipter a lot on this show, but if you have not gotten on board yet, you got to do it now. Summer is the best time to get involved with Equipter. A lot of you all are out there doing jobs more than ever, and you want to get involved now so those jobs can become as profitable as possible. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, listen, if you've got to remove debris, that means that you probably are using a dumpster and you're having to walk that debris to the dumpster constantly. It's costing you time, efficiency, money, manpower. Don't you want a dumpster that's going to be able to move directly to where you're at on the job? It's going to be able to transport all that debris off of the job. This is going to save time. This is where companies like Eustace Roofing down in Florida are scaling above their competition because they have over 20 equipters. Their jobs are done quicker, their jobs are done more efficiently, and their guys aren't having to work as hard to finish these jobs. It's a win for everybody, and so I encourage you, listen, if you have not gone over to Equipter.com and taken a look at everything that they can offer you, then please go over there. They've got the Equipter 4000, the Equipter 2500, different sizes for different needs of a contractor, and like I said, they're going to find the right Equipter for you and your needs and then you'll be more profitable than ever. Head on over to Equipter.com, give them a call, or put in an inquiry in right there, and uh, they'll get right back with you. So visit my friends over at Equipter, Equipter.com. And now, back to that episode. So you do this. What was the reaction like on the first home that you buy 
I understand of talking off air, you already had some families or people that were in that home. Correct. So you kind of got a little baptism by fire into the industry. Is that kind of correct? Or I don't want to say industry because this isn't something that a lot of people do right here. But you kind of got baptism by fire and how the process works. Well, um, what happened was well, I was used to the system mm-hmm. of the way it's set up. So once I walked into this and the business was already up and running, it made it more simple for me having experience dealing with this than it would for someone that has no experience walking into it and saying, okay, I'm just taking over this and all these people. Of course, we do what we call assessments. And what assessment is, is once the individual comes into the home or before they come into the home, I will go to the location where they're located. We'll go over the rules and regulations. I have a questionnaire where I ask different questions about their life, you know, what makes them want to be a part of what we're doing. And at, as I find out what, are, um, what they want, I also can read them from my experience of dealing with individuals, with their attitudes, with their body language, with their eyes, the way they're going to look at me, the way, they, the way they reposition themselves. And as we're having a conversation, I'm listening to what they're saying, but I'm also watching what they're doing with their body. And once you do that, you can, um, for the most part, you can make a decision. Is he going to be a good fit for the guys that I already have in the house? Or is he going to come in there and cause a problem for what the guys I have in the house? And if that's going to happen, what I'll do, that I don't just push them to the side. What I might do is refer, refer them out to another house that I have up under the umbrella that we have. That may, they may fit better with that house. Okay. So we don't dismiss them. We just may refer them somewhere else. So you're going through this almost an application process to figure Correct. out, okay, maybe they're not right at this position over here, but they might be right at this house over here. Correct. Um, how do people find out about you? It's not like you put this out on Indeed or you know something like that where you're looking for a job. How do people find out about Moses Homes? Well, Moses Homes, I have a website. Yeah. So um, you can go on um, the web and you can find Moses Homes, ILF, uh, at gmail.com. You can look us up. Um, and all these places, like, like I was telling with uh, – Second Chance Housing, they're on um, Clubhouse. You can go in different ways to really find out what's really going on. And it's not as hard as people say, but what's hard is the reputation that homelessness gets. Hmm. That's what's the hardest part. So don't nobody wants to work with them. And um, you can see a homeless guy on the street. That doesn't mean he's a bad person. That doesn't mean he has a record. He may have fallen on hard times. You go with families that fall on hard times. You may see a mother out there with a child that that has fallen on hard times. Homelessness is a, uh, there's a great misconception of homelessness. And um, these guys are there. They get, some of those guys get social security checks. Some of these guys are homelessness for choice, by choice. Some of them want to live like that. Not all of them, but you have a lot of guys, a lot of people out there that want that. You know, I've had interviews with guys, and I've offered them an opportunity to come off the street. And they chose, I prefer to live like this because I can move how I want to. I can do like I want to. I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't have to follow any rules. Some of them young, old, you know. I've had 81-year-old ladies give me a phone call say, I don't have a place to go, you know, because of some places, family has treated them so bad that they'd rather live on the street than even live with family. Well, answer me this. Let's talk about this because that misconception that you're talking about, what do you say then, Maurice, to that individual who says, you know what you're doing is you're facilitating your, you're facilitating homelessness. You're, they're not going to push themselves to get out of where they're at if they have a roof over their head. You're, um, I guess that's the right way to look at it. You're um, yeah, facilitating the entire thing. And if you keep on doing that, how are these people ever going to pick themselves up by the bootstraps? Because the same, if you're just going ahead and empowering them already, they haven't earned anything. You're just giving it to them. What do you say to that person? I'm glad you asked that question. And the reason why I am, because I have four guys in the house. And when they first came in, some of these guys didn't have a job, but they had the desire to go get a job. They had the drive to go get a job. Some of them came out of facilities that were, um, from them doing drugs because they fell back into hard times. These guys have come out of those facilities, and I, four of them have two jobs. 
it's not that they just don't want some people don't want to give them a chance to get that because of maybe their background maybe they're they have felonies and different things mm -hmm. but these guys came out and they came out running now that's not everybody does that but there are several of them if you give them the opportunity if you give them a hand up not a hand out that's what the problem is so many people are just wanting to give them something to get rid of them that to help them through what they're going through and so the problem sometimes is not homeless is a problem sometimes it's us yeah, how much does pride pay a factor into that sometimes i think about myself um so, you know i wonder sometimes for me how much pride pays a you know kind of plays a factor in the entire thing where you, you come out of a home like that where you know you've been battling with drug abuse and you know you've been bragging with addiction and you don't got much it's not like you have a, a suit and you got some you know some nice polo shirts and some slacks and some nice shoes and you start to get down i would say on yourself in a rut and you go man I, what am i going to go to this interview in what am i going to you know let's just say i want to wash cars at a car wash what am i going to show up in i don't have anything you know i got nothing but what's you know what i'm wearing right now do you ever see that as maybe a pride factor starts to kick in and somebody just needs to feel like, hey, I'm a person, I'm a man again? Yeah, pride covers, pride is a big part of what's going on. And um, the reason why it's a big part is not so much the clothing, it's them asking for the help. You know, uh, them yeah. asking for the help. You have so many people that, yeah, their clothes might be messed up, but the thing is, before I ask you for the help, I would rather just do without. You know, um, I run a food pantry in Lake County, and um, running that food pantry, it has taught me a lot. It has taught me that I'm running the food pantry in a community, in the community that I'm running the food pantry in. A lot of those people that's in the community don't even come to the pantry. It's people outside of the community. And a lot of that is because they don't want nobody to know that they need it. So... And with homelessness is what it is, what it is. That's why you see so many different people. Some of those guys are out there. Some of those females are out there asking for help. But then you got so many people that won't do that because they just like, oh, I don't want nobody to know I'm in this situation. Mm -hmm. So they're hiding. So you have that pride. You have fear. Then you have every all of us sometimes being so judgmental of them to. They is it don't be pride at that point. It'd be just fear of just being pushed down further than they already are down. Gosh. You're already down on your last leg right there, and you're just afraid somebody's going to take that one out from take, you. Take that last leg from you. Just push you more and further down than you already are. So we have to be careful in how we judging them. Instead of judging them, let's find out what the problem is. Let's find out if the problem is us or is the problem them. Yeah. Talk to me about the kind of people that you see, you know, because right now um, you're doing this in more than one home. You've expanded beyond that one home. You and your wife are helping more than just a couple of families now across Lake County. And from my understanding, you want to continue yes. to expand Moses Homes, which is wonderful. You know, I think that some people might think you're only working with people that uh, maybe they have a little mental disorder or they're the guy on the side of the street that they always see who's begging for change. You know, that that misconception, that stereotype, if you will. Talk to me about the kind of people that come through Moses Homes that you've seen. You talked about the four guys who've got multiple jobs now. But do you see families? Do you see youth? Do you see elderly? Do you see veterans? What kind of individuals have you come across? All the above. Okay. You, run, you, you run into that because, like, homelessness and to be considered homeless – you can be a family member that, you know, you have a child that's living with a grandmother. That's called, that's homeless. Because he's really not her child. He's her daughter's or her son's child. So he's considered to be homeless. So homeless doesn't have a face. We put the face to homeless. And, and that's what happens with the whole situation is we start labeling who is this and who is that. But some people, we don't even know that they're homeless because of um, how they're so protected in other ways. Then you have that one that you see on the corner, that you see on the streets, that you say, oh, he's homeless. And not knowing that this guy probably has a bank account sometimes larger than yours. Mm. But I'm also thinking man perspective here. You must have... You must, you and your wife both, and I've seen you both working hard over there with Lake Cares and you know doing what you do. You must get a real shot of perspective every single week, every single day. 
from how, you know, how blessed so many of us are. I lose sight of that. I'm, I'm really guilty of that. And I'm listening to you right now, man. Like these, like you just said, it's not just some guy on the side of the street. It, c- it can be the son of a family that, you know, his mother and father are no longer there. Now he's living with grandmother who barely gets by. The kid's not real. He doesn't have a home. Maybe as a couch he can go home to, you know, every now and then. But that's about it. That's all that kid's got. And he's, you know, um, and that's how they're growing up. And you see those people. That's got to be a shot of perspective like no other for you. Yeah, once, you, once you're looking at these kids, you have a, you have a heart for them. But as, at the same time, sometimes you have to give them a little tough love to make them realize that some of you all are in this situation because you put yourself in this situation. Mm. You know, so you give tough love to those and you give um, up and down, I would say up and down love. And when I mean by up and down love, sometimes you even have to give that one that didn't make the choice to be homeless. You have to give him a little tough love too. And that's to pick him up to make him realize, stop having a pity party with yourself. Stop doing this. I'm here to help you, but I'm not going to help you if you don't want to help. Some you, And everybody can't be helped. But you can help those who want your help. Those who don't want your help, you have to let them go. And you have to just pray for them and show them that, hey, I love you, but there's no more I can do for you. That's even with family, not just with homeless. Yeah, that's just people in general. That's just people. Yeah. You know, make better decisions, make better choices in the moments that you have every single day, and your life will move in a better direction. Yeah. Um, but those choices are sometimes, you know, isn't it fun, you, you know, being your background and seeing the people you have, I'm sure you, you're baffled. I'm baffled by myself sometimes, so I'm sure you're baffled by other people. Right. How many times we know the right choices to make, but yet we make the opposite choice knowing it's not the right choice that we should be doing. And it brings us and it puts us back in this situation that we beat ourselves up and then we, we make the wrong choice again. Some people, though, just don't break out of that habit. And the, the empathy of going, man, that could be me real easy. You know, if it wasn't for somebody stepping in like a Maurice to, to wake me up, if it wasn't for a boss, if it wasn't for a coworker or a mentor stepping in to say, hey, stop this pattern in your life of destroying yourself, that could have been me, right? right? And if I didn't have that dad in my life, if I didn't have that mom, that easily could have been me sleeping on that couch. It could have been me in that home that was dealing with addiction. And I don't think we give enough credit to the fact that how easily that could be us and that oh, I'm strong enough to make better choices. I would have found a way out. Would you? Were you giving yourself a little bit much right there? Are you a little arrogant to think that, hey, you're better than what that person is? Like somehow you would have had the strength that they don't have? I think we should all be a little quicker to, well, a little less quick to judgment that that we would have done something so much different if somebody like yourself and, and your wife and your organization don't step in and have a little tough love with an individual. And that's what I was going to say um the, the biggest problem that we have is being quick to judge. Mm. The Bible tells us to judge not, and we shall not be judged. So, so if we can just step back and take a deep breath, and before we make a, say a word, think about what we're going to say. Yep. Look at the situation and say, that could be me. Mm. I could have been on that side. I could have been homeless. That could have been me. And if all of us look at it could have been me, we'll, fi- we'll figure out a way that it's not them anymore. It's not anybody anymore. We'll try to come up. Instead of looking at the problem, we'll be trying to find a solution. Instead of worrying about where they are, let's try to get them to where we, they need to be. And what I tell people is once you become a part of Moses' home, I don't try to get you to my promised land. I try to get to you to your promised land. In other words, I try to get you to where you want to be better, where what's better for you, what your situation is to make your situation better, not to make mine any better, because if my situation get better, that does nothing for your situation. That does nothing for you. What can we do for you? Tell me what it is to have you, first of all, where you are. If you want to talk about it, talk to me about what put you where you are. And then let's try to figure out a way to get you from where you are one step at a time, not in big steps, because if I try to do big steps, it's gonna frustrate you, and sometimes it's gonna frustrate me, 
because I'm going to get upset because you're not moving fast enough. You're going to get upset because you're moving too fast. Let's move together at a pace that's comfortable for both of us. I'm thinking to myself, rewind about two years ago. I've never told anybody this is my way of thinking. but, And then I want to talk about how the specifics are what these guys are doing in these homes, okay? But two years ago, when I, before I started this company, I was leaving another company, okay? And I had to make a choice whether I was going to maybe go back to, like, I was going to go sell cars or I was going to try to just say, I'm going to risk it all, which could mean what? And a very, very smart person that I, I knew at the time and a good friend told me this. They said, play it out in your head what the worst case scenario could be. Really play it out. And I was like, okay, well, I could not be able to pay my rent and I could lose my apartment that I was living in. Like, keep going, then what? And they made me play it out all the way to where I'd have to go to this person or I'd have to now lose this car, I would get foreclosed on, that would get repoed, and they played it all out in my head. They go, now that you know that, now that you've got all the negatives down, okay, what could happen? And I was like, what could be? You got it, now you've given yourself all the negatives right there. But what could happen for you if you went for it? What's the best thing that could happen? And I went through all the best things, like the absolute dream that could happen with it. And I was like, so which, is it worth it or not? I was like, it's worth it. It's worth it to take a chance. And so that was like how I made this choice to go, okay, I'm going to stop that cycle. I, I really went down the worst that could possibly. And I, you play it out in your head. And was like, I, at least then you're making an educated choice. And... What's the absolute best? And then go after it if you think it's worth it. If not, you know, maybe you stay where you're at or you continue to be comfortable. But that was my, my way of, hey, I'm going to stop this cycle. I'm going to stop doing what I've always done because this is a lot, this is a lot better than what I have right over here. And, and that's what happened to a lot of us. And it all boils back down to fear. Mm-hmm. It all boils back down to the fear of not succeeding. But what about the fear of succeeding? Some people have a fear of making it, just as well as they have a fear of not making it. You know, with me coming off of the job that I was on, it was a company called Attain at the time when I left this company. That's the company that took over with Carlton Palms and ended up at Attain. Um, I was comfortable at one point where I was, and I loved what I did, but I got to the point where I didn't love what I did anymore where I was doing it at. Mm-hmm. And um, you asked me before what draw me into doing the business that I'm doing. And as I sat here and I thought about it and our conversation went on, I didn't love what I did where I did it anymore. So I took the experience that I had with being a behavioral therapist to – take that and the experience that I had with my father with migrant workers and took that and say, huh, I got this company and this homeless, you got behavior, you have all of these things compiled into what I love. And so now to open up this house is like, Lord, I thank you. Mm. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I don't have nobody saying what I can and what I cannot do, and I can love what I do. And in loving what I do, I continue to make this grow to help someone else get a better way of life. From hopelessness to hopefulness, from being in the world of just out there, (coughs) being out there and now you have a roof over your head and you have an opportunity to get back up on your feet to get back connected with possibly family members that have just got tired of you doing everything to them that they can't take it anymore. And, <coughs> and after that, what you do, you find out that the family says, wow, he is doing better. And then they take you back in. And guess what that does? That opens a bed for another person to come in that we can help do that same thing. Take a break for one second. I'm going to cough. That's sorry. <coughs> if you look right here, this on my arm, yeah. it's just, it's all over. Oh, man. These bug bites are. You did that. I, um, oh. 
How long ago was it I got got those oh. bees that got me? Oh. I was doing the yard. Yeah. And hornets. Oh. They they covered my leg from the bottom of my leg up here, to, and I was oh fighting them. Oh my god! I got stung probably about what? <laughs> I know about fifty times, or fifty or more times. <coughs> my lips look like the mm. nutty professor. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a question. Like, give me one second. You want okay. I just hadn't got to that part yet. Life stream. Homeless clinician. The um open the. What's that in? The I don't really connect with them that much. The Hope Center. Huh? You took you've been taking pictures. <laughs> I don't. You could take pictures. I don't even. I'm focused. Hey, this is a whole nother level for us, right? Got the mic? You got the mic too? Uh, all right. Got to figure it out. Man, now I'm much better. <laughs> Here we go. Ready, Hoff? Can we keep it rolling? Yeah, it's still rolling. Still rolling? That's nice. <clears throat> oh, man. So I can't freaking speak. <laughs> there we go. Tell me if I'm ready to back on. Am I framed in or no? All right, here we go. Three, two. <clears throat> Don't have it happen again. Here we go, Patrick. So then I have to ask you this. What is the dream of Moses Holmes? Because, you know, you talk about where does it go from here for you, for your wife? Where does it go for the mission? What are you doing? Where's the dream? What's my dream is to one day not just house individual men or women, but to one day be able to house families, to bring families back together because you have so much going on with the husband can't live with the wife or they can't they have to be separated because the wife is on the system i want to get them off the system to be able to come back together to create the family atmosphere so the mother and the father can be in the house to raise the child like we were saying you know you want the mom and the dad to be there so the kid can see that the mom and the dad are together so they can see how a family is supposed to be you know with the mother and the father if that works for that family I'm not saying I want that if it's not something that's working for the family, but also to be able to not that just all these all these hotels and uh, apartment complexes that are run down. I'm here, <laughs> you yeah. know, bless me with one of those so I can open that up to, you know, to clean it up, to bring these families together to have individual apartment areas. You could turn those into apartments. You could turn those into transition areas you can turn those into many things but if nobody's willing to give that or bless people with that I, but one thing i have to let people know i am a for-profit i'm not a non-profit organization mm -hmm. so if you're gonna do it is a for-profit organization not a non-profit i just want to make that clear to people so you know you don't come in and saying oh i thought it was this mm -hmm. it's not a non-profit but my thing is I'm not trying to profit to the point where it's going to hurt anybody. Yes, I have to make a living for my family and myself, and I want to be very successful in this. So the opportunity is just give me a chance to show you that there are people out there, there are good people out here 
that's one to help and not take advantage of anybody. Because my thing is I'm not trying to take advantage of the homeless. I'm trying to help them get better and get a better way of life, not just living like that. Well, so the average person might just ask, why don't you just go out and buy another home? Or why don't you call up a, a subdivision and get a rundown home and fix it up? Now, there are some things that stand in the way, though, of you being able to do that just in an average community. What are some of the things that stand in the way of the dream that you have there of doing this at a larger scale? The biggest thing that stands in my way is I'm not financially set for that. I'm not financially able to do that on my own because I would have to say some bad decisions and bad choices I made in my life early on that um, I have to start now from where I am. And financially, I'm not stable enough to be able to go out and purchase those things and do all that. But what I will say is this. Although I'm not financially stable and set enough, I am mentally, Mm -hmm. physically, and emotionally set enough to where if you give me that opportunity, I won't let you down. Well, what about these what about these homes? I mean, a lot of them have HOAs, a lot of them have condominium associations. Um, have you run into any kind of problem with, you know, the management and the condominium, the HOAs themselves, the associations? What's that been like? Well, it it hasn't been so much the HOAs or the session, but the biggest thing I run into is property management. Mm. And what happens is these companies that are um allowing the homeowners that allow uh property management companies to run their properties. You know, when you call those property management companies, they tell you, oh, we don't do that. And I don't know if the homeowner themselves even know that we're trying to get these houses to to actually, I can lease your house. Are you going to give me the opportunity to lease your house? What I do when I lease your house, I sublease it. But at the same time, you know, the home, um, the HOAs don't have so much of a problem with it. But property management companies, what they say is, oh, the homeowner doesn't want this to happen because we need to have everybody that's in the house on the lease. What I tell them is this right here. I'm totally responsible. I have a business. We have insurance and everything that's covering your property. If any damage happens to your property, I fixed it. Because I didn't mention this before, but I also have a handyman business as well. So what I do is I take the guys that are homeless I take the guys that are, have skills, and I use those same guys to fix the property, but they get paid. I'm not using them because they stay in the house, so they're going to get paid for the work that they do. And what that does, that builds their self-esteem. That builds them back up to get them, wow, I can do this. Wow, I've always wanted to do this. And someone's giving me the opportunity to get back up on my feet, to be make myself something self-worth that I can see the work that I do. So what that does that changes their train of thought. I don't have to just stand on the corner. I have a job now. This guy right here, Maurice with Moses Homes, is giving me an opportunity to get back to a better way of life that I can depend on me and not someone else. All right, so let me play devil's advocate a little bit with the lease side of things. Now, what they may be concerned about is a couple of different things, where who is this person that's going to be living in the home? I'm not saying they're on the lease, but to at least make sure that – you're not coming in with a you know a sexual offender. Um, when you do this kind of stuff, are you running background checks to make sure that these people are who they say they are and you're not putting those kind of individuals into a home that might be next to a, a family that has children that, that are going to be present next to it? Um, the majority How- of the time I get my clients, I call them clients, uh, individuals from like Livestream, and they already run through systems that – does a total background screening, and I do a complete assessment on them. I found out why they were in jail if they've been to jail. I find out um, what their history is. I do all of that stuff. I do a complete assessment. If they're a sex offender, I'm not going to put them in a community to put anybody in jeopardy. I have kids as well. You know, my kids are now adults, but I think of just about every opportunity that can have a child preyed upon or an individual female or male. Mm-hmm. And these days, nobody has a particular person that they want to attack. So my thing is, I'm not going to put anybody in jeopardy because at the end of the day, it falls back on me. Yeah. So I like the way you're putting that. You know, they may not be on the lease, but at the same token, these are individuals that you know. These are people that are coming from a place where background checks have been ran. These are... And, I guess what I'm trying to say is that even if they're not on the lease, we know who these people are, which is the most important thing you're trying to get across. Correct. The lease forms then as a financial agreement is what it would be. 
Right. And that financial responsibility is your burden because you've got to get financial income from the people that are living within the home. You got to get them out there. You got to get them working. It's in your financial incentive, which frankly, I kind of like the fact that you're a for-profit business because then you know what? You want to get people to work because there's rent to be paid. That's right. And if there's rent to be paid, hey, people got to work to get that rent. Um, so it's a win for you. It's a win for the person because they're off the streets working and paying, feeling responsible, having purpose. But then the owner of that home is also winning because they're getting that home paid for um, by the individuals that are there. You mentioned being the handyman side of things, which is great because things are going to happen no matter what family you have living or renting a home. Um, you know, there are things that are going to break, cabinets that might, you know, might fall off, or, you know, there are things that happen. Um, so you're able to go in there and ensure that the home is taken care of to the best possible, the best possible standard. And, and one other thing I, I, I like um, the homeowners to know, I put cameras in the home. I put cameras in all my common areas. Mm. So if what happens is if someone says, uh, Maurice, I'm not the one that broke that. Uh, that didn't happen when I was there. I can go back in my camera on my phone no matter what location I'm in and say, hey, who is this? Is this you? Isn't this you that did that? And, you know, that way it keeps everybody safe. And the safety of these cameras is not just for me, not just for your home. It's for the individuals that's in the home. Mm -hmm. Because you can you can say this guy attacked me. Come to find out you attacked them mm -hmm. if that was to happen. But what happens is it just covers everybody. It just covers the whole scenario and the whole situation in the home with the cameras being in there. I want everybody to feel safe, not just the homeowner, but the individuals in the home. Yeah. So I think, man, there are so many people who need to wake up to this problem. You got management companies out there that are managing individual homes. You got other management companies that are managing communities. Okay. And, you know, back when I was, uh, back how I got involved with that world was dealing with HOA foreclosures. <laughs> I'm thinking about those right now. Um, you know, we're coming in a downturn of the economy where some people make the choice not to pay their HOA dues. And the state of Florida, you can be kicked out of your home for not paying your HOA dues. And those homes sit empty. Um, they sit empty while the bank figures out what they're going to do with a mortgage foreclosure. I think about those kinds of homes that management companies could be looking at as temporary housing for individuals. Because sometimes those can be open for years at a time. You know, what an opportunity to be able to get some help some people, to be able to get some rent moving into there, to get the home fixed up and get people living there. I think about opportunities like that not just individual homes and homeowners, but these management companies that are managing communities right now. And then I like what you said, Maurice, you know, now you've got these other, let's say multi-duplex, you know, quads that, that are out there right now that maybe are run down, people are sitting on them. This is an opportunity to get those things moving in the right direction. They just need to give you the opportunity to get the families in there and put the people in the right place. And not only that, with me being a handyman and having guys that can do certain jobs, I can go in and not only that, clean your property up for you and get it set for these guys to come in and live and not only just clean it up and keep it, keep it cleaned up, keep it looking presentable, mm -hmm. keep it in the thing that you don't have to worry about that property anymore. Only thing you think about is that check coming to you every month and it'll be there on time. So uh, my final couple questions here for you, folks, we're with Maurice right here with Moses Holmes, who is absolutely attacking the the homeless problem that we have right here in, in Florida. But, uh, you know, through across the country, it's a problem. All right. But I want to ask you this. How much of a problem is it, Maurice? So is this something in central Florida? Let's just take Florida in general. You've traveled around here. I'm sure you know other people in other parts of the state. Um, does the average person realize just how big of a problem this is or how underrepresented, or is it getting better or worse? Give me a picture of what's going on in Florida. I think what it's getting bigger and it's going to get worse with the way these houses and prices are going up. It's going to get even worse because what's going to happen is you're going to have people that normally could afford rent. If your rent is going up four to five hundred dollars a month because a homeowner can do that then you're going to have an empty house when your rent was from i have a friend of mine that i know he was paying i think it was fifteen hundred dollars a month for the house he was living in the homeowner sent him a note saying oh your rent is going to go up five hundred dollars a month so now you don't went from fifteen hundred dollars a month to two thousand dollars a month 
But mm. your pay on your job didn't go up. Nope. Your, and if in my case, your pay went down, you know, when I was on the job that I was on. And so when you run into situations like that, it's, it's, it's very hard for these houses to get filled up because the amount of money that they're asking for rent is, you, you can't afford it. But Hoff, I want to look this up. Average rent in Orlando right now. What's the average rent for a 1-1 in Orlando we got going on right now? Because I think you're right, man. The prices are ridiculous. I see all these, I see apartments going up everywhere, but prices aren't going down. And I don't see people making that much more money right now. What were we thinking then? Because I think, I think people would be shocked to learn the average that, that we're looking at. And then you look at someone who's on, let's say, Social Security. All right? I'll give you a great example, Maurice, is that um, my, great, my grandmother, um, well, at fault of my, my grandfather, they are living right now in my great-grandmother's mobile home. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you know, we're tired of living in this. You know, we're going to move to an apartment, Patrick. I said, oh, really? Your $600 a month lot fee that you pay right there, you think you're going to, well, we'll find something for six to 800 bucks. And I thought, nope, you have no idea what the market looks like out there. Any word, Hoff? $1,900. Are we kidding, folks? I mean, who can, that's just for the rent. Like, I mean, this is insanity when it comes. We're looking at Orlando right there. So we're looking at Orlando. Yeah, the outskirts, let's just say. If you went Lake, Osceola, probably a little bit less. Orange County is going to be more. Seminole's probably just as much where we're at right now. Um, that's – we're not if – you're, if you're making even decent money, it's putting you right there on the edge. And that is tough on families. So 1-1. One, one. You know, you could, be, you could be there with your wife and a child – that goes up two to three hundred bucks. You could find yourself in a situation where you're going to need a Moses Homes, um, and more people need to understand that that problem is, like we say, only a couple situations away. That apartment complex raising the rent because it gets an influx of people that can move in and pay more. Maybe there's a uh, something that moves into the area, um, higher paying jobs, and you don't get one. Or you think about this. Gosh, man. You think about these situations to where companies are filing bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Companies themselves are filing bankruptcy. So what that does, that makes the, all the employees jobless. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have a job. You can't pay this mortgage. So what do you become? Homeless. Yeah. Of no fault of your own. Yeah. And 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 I was looking at this I, also. You, you're looking at all these situations to where you have all these people that are falling into these situations to where they can't afford. Um, I was doing a, a job with my handyman business, and I was talking to the renter that was in this house, and we were just talking, and they were discussing. And it was like, well, I've had this problem for a little bit. I thank you for coming to fix it. And I say, and she say, I pay $3,000 a month to stay in this house. I said, you pay how much? She said, $3,000 a month. I said, ma'am, what would happen if, you lost your job. What would happen if you missed a paycheck yep. or, or you missed a payment? Well, so, hey, off. what about this one? Average family has in savings. How much does an average family have in savings? Because that's what we're talking about here. You know, you, it's 1900 bucks a month, but then what happens? You know what I'm saying? Is that it's 1900 and it goes up to 2200 Do you have thousands of dollars sitting in savings to where you're going to be able to make up the difference. I bet the average family has less than a thousand dollars in savings right now. And and, I mean, and that right there is where an organization, you, your company are stepping in to solve a problem. And I'm hoping that management companies, property owners see this and say, Hey, you know what? Listen, this is something that can make me money and we can help the community. We can help families. Yeah. The average in the U.S. is 5000 in savings, okay? So what I think about, okay, so I'm way off on that one. Now, I would think, though, that 5000 means there's some people who are going to have a few hundred thousand. There's some people that have a couple hundred dollars, and now we're just looking at an average right there. But when I think about that, they need to get involved with Moses Home. So how do they do that? Where do they start the process if you're an individual who needs your services or if you're an individual who's interested in working with you? Well, you can go on the web, as I said earlier, 
MosesHomesILF at gmail.com or you can give us a phone call 352-602-9069. That's my direct contact. Mm -hmm. And my thing is you call me directly, but I still run into that problem. Mm. Are you going to give me the opportunity to get your property, to lease your property? And are you going to help me out through this process that I can show you we can be successful together? You know, I'm not trying to do this on my own. I'm not trying to make all the money. I just want to help people that's trying to get back on their feet, trying to get a better way of life, trying to get back in contact with their family members that may not even know where they are. You know, mm. there's some situations where these people are homeless because they left a state they were in. They got down here, thought they were going to do better. Pride is not allowing them to get back into touch with their family because they don't have anything to offer back to their family. So if we can get together and we can work together to make this happen, we can make these families come back together and join back together and then give another opportunity for the next person to come in for us to help them do the same thing. Maurice, I'm hoping that there's going to be a viewer or listener out there that does exactly that, gives you that opportunity, because I think what you're doing is special. I like that, hey, everybody is winning in this situation here. Homeowners are winning. Uh, the people who, who need a home are winning. You and your family are winning. And it's a passion project, I can tell for you. You've got the right upbringing. Everything you did, I, I love it in life sometimes, where the things you did, the way you were brought up, the things you did before you got to this, brings you to this place here, and you're best equipped to be able to do what you're doing right now, brother. Um, congratulations. Um, folks, we'll have everything, of course, in the description. Um, best ways you can get a hold of Maurice and his team over at Moses Homes. Uh, please, you know somebody who needs a service or you feel that you may have a home, you know a management company, you know some people that own some homes that might be able to help this man out, you go ahead and it's not helping. It's going to be a win for everybody. We just need, the, like you said, the opportunity to get these people into the door. Let's fix these homes up. Let's do right by individuals who need a roof over their head. That's a cause I think we all should be able to get ourselves around. Maurice. Thanks for stopping by, bro. Uh, thanks a lot. Man, appreciate I appreciate you all it. for me time. Hey, it's Moses Holmes, everyone. Get in touch with him. Check the description right now. Until next time, everybody, Patrick Carr Show.